Hello, junkies, and Happy New Year! Welcome to 2021. And I'm sure you already know this year's official licensed slogan. Here it is. 2021. Hell, it's got to be better than 2020. Right? Right? A and I have been enjoying this holiday season. The Christmas tree, the lights, getting ready for New Year's Eve, all that fun stuff. I'm actually recording this intro on December 31st before the proper New Year's Eve celebrating begins. Because who knows how I'm going to feel on January 1st and, of course, the day after that, depending on how nutty things get on New Year's Eve. I posted a cool thing over at youtube.com slash scottsigler. That cool thing is Ray Porter recorded live reading about 20 minutes of Mount Fitzroy. Now, if you don't know Ray Porter, he is the voice of Darkseid in the Zack Snyder Justice League movie, and he is the audiobook narrator for both Earthcore and Mount Fitzroy. We recorded him on a Sigler in Place live stream reading Mount Fitzroy. And at the point we shot that, I had not heard any of his Fitzroy audiobook reading. So this was the first time I had heard my own words written from a book that I've been working on, on and off for 15 years. Of course, Ray is a super pro actor. He was the 2015 Audible Narrator of the Year. He's a pro. He knows his business. And hearing him read my words and hearing them for the first time, things got a little bit emotional. I won't lie. Things got a little bit emotional. So again, that's over at youtube.com slash Sigler, or search YouTube for Ray Porter Reads Mount Fitzroy. I'll also post that link over at Facebook, up on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and other places in the near future. I hope your 2021 is shaping up to be a good one. Let me get you caught up on the story so far, and then it's game time. Previously on The Gangster. Hokor the Hookchest should have made Greedock the Splithead the executor of his will, but the coach did not. Hokor instead named GFL Commissioner Rob Froese as the executor. This is an egregious break from tradition and protocol in the Quiff culture. Greedock is not happy, and the situation is about to get worse. What's more, Greedock has been waiting for a report from investigator Wakan Reed on the touchback bombing, which happened just prior to the Galaxy Bowl. Will that information do anything to alleviate Greedock's lethal mood? Find out next on The Gangster, episode number five. Welcome to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and performed by Scott Sigler. The Gangster is suitable for ages 12 and up and contains graphic violence. The Gangster is also available as a signed, numbered, limited edition hardcover while supplies last. To order, go to scottsigler.com slash store. Frustration. Assassinating the league commissioner. How much trouble would that bring? And would that trouble be worth it? The arrogance of Frost. The audacity. Wakan Reed Shuttle has docked with us, Masal said. He waits to deliver his report at your convenience. As soon as his shuttle leaves, we have clearance to depart for Harlan. 
I also just received updates on the solidity ceremony schedule. You will speak after the commissioner. Is that acceptable? Greedock wanted to do something about that power-hungry froze. The human worked for the owners of the League, not the other way around. Maybe other owners would consider taking action against the little megalomaniac. Perhaps a puppet commissioner could be put in place, someone who wasn't as blindingly insolent... Shamacath? Greedock looked at Massal, almost surprised to see the workers standing in the salon of the little ruler, Greedock's favorite yacht. Is that acceptable, Shamacath? Is what acceptable? Massal shifted his weight from one foot to the other. Is it acceptable that you speak after Commissioner Frost at Hokor's final solidity ceremony? The ceremony that would be held in Harlan, not in glorious INF Stadium, where Greedock and Hokor had worked together for years to rebuild the franchise, to transform a Tier 2 also-ran into a Galaxy Bowl champion. INF Stadium belonged to Greedock, just as Hokor had. Shanacath? At times, Massal could be quite annoying. It is acceptable, Greedock said, although none of this was acceptable, not even close. I will be the final speaker, as it should be. Massal shifted his weight, curls of green on his cornea. What did he think, that Greedock would order his death? The worker was not responsible for this debacle. I apologize for my inability to properly communicate, Shamacath. I must clarify, you will be the second of three speakers. Someone speaking after Greedock? Was there no end to this humiliation? Who is third? The Lord Governor himself, Massal said. It will be impressive to see you share a stage with Charlton the Moral. If I may be so bold, it is an opportunity long overdue, considering your status. Greedock's anger eased a bit. Massal had a point. This fiasco, this incredible damage to Greedock's reputation, would be mitigated, somewhat, by being seen in the presence of the Quith Concordia's leader. It would have been far better if the Lord Governor had come to Ionath, where he would have been Greedock's guest, but truth be told, the Lord Governor would probably never allow himself to be the guest of a known criminal. Someday, that would change. Greedock would continue to expand his holdings. Eventually, the highest echelons of the Concordia would have no choice but to accept him as one of their own. He wouldn't be the first Barilli, quith crime boss, to attain that kind of legitimate status, and he wouldn't be the last. I must take control of this situation, Greedock said. I need ideas on how to present this in the best possible light. I will work on it during the journey to Harlan. A half-day punch. Ample time for Massal to figure out how to spin this in Greedock's favor. Very well, Greedock said. Send Reed in. Massal left the salon. The hatch slid shut behind him. Greedock forced himself to relax. Problems needed to be solved with logic, not emotion. The last time he'd been this insulted, he'd killed the offender. And the offender's family and anyone the offender had ever done business with. The message had been supernova bright. Don't even think of showing disrespect to Greedock the Splithead. But Greedock couldn't kill Frost. Not yet. And Hokor was already dead. Hokor had made Frost the executor of his will. Unheard of. It hadn't been a spur-of-the-moment decision, either. 
Holcor had quietly made the arrangement two years earlier. Holcor's loyalty should have been to Greedock, but no, Holcor's loyalty was only to himself. Or was it to Barnes? Greedock looked around his salon, letting his treasures call to him, assure him that he would find a way. These artifacts and artworks, some were worth more than entire cities. They were talismans to his power, his influence. He had been born with nothing, clawing his way out of the egg sack to find only a dead mother waiting for him. He'd had no patron, no influential father, no family support. All that Greedock possessed, he had earned. He willed his anger to leave, visualizing it seeping through the little ruler's hull out into the void of space, where it would freeze, turn to dust, then dissipate on the solar wind. Did he have problems? Yes. But had he not solved the worst problems of his past? Had he not persevered? Had he not won? He would deal with Okor's betrayal. He would deal with the aftermath of Jonathan Sandoval's attack. He would deal with Frost. And, someday, he would deal with Quentin Barnes. I do not trust Reed. He will betray you. The voice came from the back of the salon. Virak the Mean, standing beside an ancient key sculpture mounted against the bulkhead. The warrior was so adept at staying motionless and silent that Greedock sometimes forgot he was there at all. Who you trust is irrelevant, the leader said. Reed is devious, but I doubt his ability to mount an assault here, on my property. We thought the same thing about the touchback. Had those words been delivered with any intensity, any flippancy, they would have been disrespectful. But Virek's tone had remained flat, emotionless. The warrior was simply speaking fact. Virek, did I ask for your counsel on this? Where your safety is concerned, Shemekev, you have instructed me that I do not have to wait for permission. That also was true. Frustratingly so. Then watch Reed carefully. We have yet to address replacements for Bobby Bros and Fongar Cal, Virag said. You have lost two trusted soldiers, Shamakath. We must see to your protection. Along with Virak, those two had been Greedock's personal bodyguards. They died in Sandoval's attack. Greedock hadn't given them much thought. I am not concerned, Virak. I have you. Yes, Shamakath. You have me. Until football season begins. If the warrior could play. Those bullet wounds might impact his on-field ability. They might not. Perhaps Virak was more valuable as a dedicated bodyguard. Then again, with all the holes in the Kraken's lineup, the last thing Greedock needed was to also have to find yet another linebacker. Who would you recommend replace Brobst and Fanga? Gristlehead, the warrior said immediately. She is not the smartest member of your organization, but in a fight she is savage. She would strike fear into the hearts of your enemies. A Scalorno as personal protection? Had things become that strange? I will consider it, Greedock said. Any others? Wu Ang Mip, heavy key. Sentience paid attention to Fong Ga's size and behaved accordingly. I recommend replacing like with like. While I do not like John Tweedy, I once heard him say, if it ain't broke, don't twist it. A contraction? Even when imitating a human, 
That vocal affectation out of a quith mouth sounded grinding and offensive. Nothing spoke to human laziness like their affinity for shortening perfectly suitable words. Perhaps Virac had spent too much time in human company. If he was quoting that imbecile John Tweedy, doubly so. Silence, Virac. I have heard enough. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Virak was wrong about Reed. The human had been nothing until Greedock found him, a poor teenager running with INF City street gangs. Greedock took him in, put Reed in school, prepared him for a life in law enforcement. Wakan started out as an entry-level INF systems police recruit, but he did not stay at that lowly position for long. Reed filtered Greedock information about criminal elements coming to and going from INF, who was doing what, where, and with whom. Greedock fed Reed information on Greedock's enemies, allowing the human to make arrest after arrest. Reed had quickly risen through the ranks to become an inspector. After seven years in the ISP, Greedock instructed Reed to emigrate to the Planetary Union. With Reed's track record, he entered the Planetary Union Bureau of Investigations as a full inspector. While Greedock didn't have as much influence on Earth, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn as he did on Concordia planets, which was why he needed to place a representative in the Sol system in the first place, he did know enough about criminal efforts in that area to keep feeding Reed information. Reed continued to make big busts. Bus, of course, that damaged Greedock's underworld rivals. Reed spent 10 years as an inspector on Earth until his connection with Greedock became known, a result of Greedock's rivals fighting back. Reed had retired and become a private investigator. Greedock loaned Reed out to other underworld bosses as needed. The attack in the touchback had changed things. Greedock needed someone reliable, someone who knew the Sol system well. He'd placed Reed on the case full-time. The salon's hatch slid open. Missal entered, followed by a human male. Wakan Reed. Regardless of the temperature, indoors or out, pink-skinned Wakan wore a tan trench coat and a matching hat of the style known as the canotier. He had weapons in the coat, and in the hat as well. The human loved blades the way some sentients love their offspring. 
Wakan smiled constantly. Maybe he had to. His teeth looked too big for his mouth. He approached Greedock. Stop, Virag said. That is close enough. Wakan stopped. Seriously? You know we work for the same boss, right? Come no closer, the warrior said. Was that a hint of trepidation in Virag's voice? Was he afraid of Wakan Reed? A human? Perhaps the warrior's confidence was shaken by the two bullets in his chest, by his bloody fight against Jonathan Sandoval. A mentally scarred warrior was a worthless warrior. Perhaps Virak was broken. Perhaps he needed to be replaced. I've completed my preliminary report, Wakan said. Start with the attack on the touchback, Greedock said. How was my security thwarted? Assume I know nothing. Tell me exactly what you found. Greedock already knew a great deal, but the unknowns far outweighed the knowns. Two bombs were detonated, Reed said. One on deck two, one in the VR room. Halamite was the explosive compound in both. It's commonly used for demolition. The Empire regulates it. Licensed engineers can buy it in the open market. Stuff's been used in several terrorist attacks. It's a favorite munition of the Guild. Is the Halamite traceable? No. The production formula is consistent across multiple manufacturing facilities. There's no chemical print that would specify a particular creator or supplier. I was able to find where Sandoval was staying on Jupiter and access his search history. He studied up on Halamite to make sure it was what he wanted to use. Greedock had hoped the explosive might lead back to the sentients who had hired Sandoval, but it was not to be. How was the bomb put aboard my ship? Were any of the media members besides Sandoval involved? I've collated investigations on the 57 media members who were on board the touchback the day of the attack, Reed said. Aside from Sandoval, they all appear to be clean. There are no suspects other than Sandoval and Jason Prognow. Prognow likely acquired the bomb materials at Red Storm City, either on his own or he got them from Sandoval. Prognow was a kraken. He could come and go as he pleased, correct? Prognow had been a third-string defensive tackle. No one had cared where he went, including the media, including most football fans. With his diplomatic immunity, he couldn't be searched while on Jupiter, and why would anyone have searched him or his room on the touchback? Correct. I realize my ship staff overlooked the potential threat posed by my own players. Something that would never happen again. Brock now had ties to the Zoroastrian Guild, Reed said. Did you know that? Of course I did. Several Krakens had criminal records. They played for a gangster, after all. What did it matter if they had checkered pass? Imperial investigators found halomite residue in Prochnow's quarters on the touchback, Reed said. The Union Bureau of Investigations is also on the case. The UBI uncovered some communications between Prochnow and Sandoval. It looks like Prochnow thought he was building a smoke bomb of some sort, supposed to be all flash and noise. It's likely he didn't know it would actually hurt anyone. A detail that mattered not. If Prochnow was stupid enough to be used like that, then he had deserved to die. How did Sandoval and Prochnow get control of my ship? The Imperial Report determined that there is an internal design flaw in the touchback's control system, Reed said. Sandoval simply avoided being on the first shuttle taking media members back down to Redstorm City. He was one of seven reporters still on board. Prochnow 
was able to splice into the ship's control system from inside his room. Once he had access, he opened doors and let Sandoval into the ship proper. The touchback was old, its tech susceptible to modern hacking equipment. Long before Sandoval's bombing, Kate Cheevers, the ship's captain, had requested modernization improvements that would have eliminated the flaw. Instead of paying for endless upgrades to an old ship, it made more fiscal sense to replace the vessel altogether, especially if someone else footed the bill. Greedock had forced his governmental contacts to create a ballot measure for a brand new touchback. That bond hadn't passed. The next one would. After the bombing, Greedock ensured that the INF media focused on the touchback's age, on the fact that if the ship had been newer, Hokor the Hookchest would still be alive. With the people of INF reveling in back-to-back GFL titles and with them grieving Hokor's death, polls showed the new bond would pass easily. A state-of-the-art ship paid for by taxpayers, yet Greedock would own it outright. It was even possible that the ship would be ready in time for the 2687 season. That explains the how of what Sandoval did, Greedock said. What about the why? Why did a successful sports reporter try to kill my quarterback? Reed smiled wider. Those teeth. So disgusting. Sandoval was moonlighting for the Kretoraki Ministry of Religion. His codename was Desert Sun. He was assigned to monitor Quentin Barnes, who the CMR codenamed Bright Light. Why was the CMR watching Barnes? They feared his church was growing too large, Reed said. I obtained internal memos showing they thought he might become a figurehead powerful enough to incite large numbers to rise up against the Empire. The CMR considered imprisoning Barnes, possibly even assassinating him. The CMR had considered the COQB to be problematic, Greedock knew, but he hadn't realized the level of concern. They had debated taking Barnes out? How interesting. Greedock remembered Sandoval from post-game press conferences. The human had been an Imperial agent. That made sense. As a reporter assigned to cover the Krakens, Sandoval was constantly around the team, had access to Barnes that other sentients did not. Sandoval bested several of my guards, Greedock said. I suspected he was able to do this because he had mods. Is that accurate? Reed nodded. He had modified strength and speed, improved visual acuity, and enhanced hearing. Outside of the Imperial military, having those kind of mods carries an immediate death sentence. Any back garrison can whack you on the spot, no trial necessary. Sandoval had an embedded chip that made him Imperial property, so mod scanners ignored him. Real smooth operation, from what I can find. Not counting Imperial cyborgs, Sandoval was one of the most dangerous sentients in existence. And Virak had taken him on. Perhaps Greedock had been too harsh regarding his bodyguard's failure. The COQB schism broke the church in his smallest sex, ending the threat as far as the CMR was concerned, Reed said. Did you have anything to do with that schism? I did not. Barnes and Frost arranged the meeting that led to it. Did you talk to either of them about it? Look into it at all? The way Reed asked that, as if that should have been the obvious next step. I cannot be everywhere at once, Redox said. Occasionally, problems are solved by someone other than me. Why would I look into it? I read Yolanda Devonport's article. 
The CMR no longer cared about the idiots that worship Barnes. The problem worked itself out. Reed seemed to weigh those words, as if he was adding them to some internal equation. Fair enough, he said. After the schism, the CMR decided Barnes wasn't a threat. They discontinued the investigation. They no longer needed Sandoval's services. They gave him notice that his mods had to be removed. Davenport's story broke in week nine of the season. Sandoval's attack on the touchback took place seven weeks later. Why did he still have his mods? Removal surgery requires a long recovery, Reed said. The CMR allowed Sandoval to wait until after the Galaxy Bowl so there'd be no interruption to his cover as a gridiron reporter. Sandoval probably wanted to use his mods for a big payday before they were gone for good. I believe he sought out the Zoroastrian Guild who paid him to assassinate Barnes. The Guild? Greedock barely managed to control his surprise. Are you telling me that terrorists Pedro Barnes killed? Not another team owner. Not someone in my organization who wanted me to fail. Are you sure? Reed took off his hat, absently turned it in his hands. No, I'm not absolutely sure, he said. But that's where the clues point. For a few years now, some elements of the guild have been paying operatives and gemstones. Prognow had a million credits worth of gems hidden in his quarters. Sandoval had ten million worth on him when he died. And two weeks before the attack, Sandoval put Jim's worth a half million credits in a safety deposit box. I'm guessing those were the initial down payment for the hit. The ten mil were given to him when he proved he was putting his plan into play. Five percent up front, the rest upon completion. It was a fairly standard payment plan in the criminal world. Give the operative enough capital to whet their appetite, but not so much that they could ignore the larger sum due upon completion of the task. Barnes had been partially responsible for Yitzhak Goldman's arrest. Was that enough for the Guild to want Barnes dead? Maybe. Greedock wanted to know if Reed had come to the same conclusion, or perhaps there was another layer to Barnes that put him on the terrorist's radar. Why would the Guild want Barnes dead? I don't know, Reed said. Possibly for the same reason the CMR was watching him, because of his potential influence. Have you heard of a guild splinter group called the Vermada? I have not. They're very secretive, more violent, willing to openly attack civilian targets. Did this human think it was news that the guild attacked civilians? What does the Vermada want? Reed shrugged. No one is sure. Power? Money? Influence? The guild wants to destabilize the Empire, Greedock said. They want the various species to rise up against the Kretorakians. How would killing a quarterback fulfill that cause? Some say the Vermada behind the deaths of major entertainers, religious figures, and political organizers. The kind of sentience that achieve massive cross-species celebrity. Like Barnes has. I find this hard to believe. If the Vermada target high-profile figures, why have I never heard about this group? Most of the celebrity attacks look like accidents or random crimes gone wrong, Reed said. And remember that Vermada members are also members of the Guild. When there is clear evidence of a planned assassination, the Guild at large is usually blamed. The Vermada never claim direct responsibility for anything. A terrorist splinter group using its parent group as cover? Interesting, Greedak said. You think this Vermada targeted Barnes merely because he is popular? Reed glanced off, nodded. 
I'll know how it sounds, but yeah, maybe, he said. It could be his position as a potential influencer of public opinion. Or perhaps Barnes has had other run-ins with the Guild. Is there anything I should know about? Greedock wasn't ready to reveal Goldman's involvement with the Guild. For all of Rose's faults, the Commissioner had been true to his word and kept that a secret. If people found out that a high-ranking Guild member had been operating under Greedock's nose, Greedock would lose respect. His enemies would be further emboldened to come at him. And yet, this might have nothing at all to do with Goldman. If Reed was right, and the Vermada wanted to kill people who had cross-species influence, Greedock needed to understand why. Barnes has no connection to the Guild that I am aware of, the leader said. I must have more information on the Vermada. You will investigate them further for me. Reed shook his head. The animals. Everyone who's looked into them wound up in little pieces. You can't pay me enough to make my name known to them. No hint of disrespect. Reed was all business. I will double your rate. Reed's heartbeat increased a few beats per minute, then, just as quickly, returned to normal. Turns out you can pay me enough, he said. I'll investigate further. There's another odd detail. It looks like Sandoval was trying to fact-check Davenport's schism story. He was digging into the regulator's records, looking for flight paths that brought it within shuttle range of the touchback. What was he hoping to find? I'm not sure, Reed said. He may have been trying to verify times that meetings could have occurred between Barnes, Frost, and the ladies of the COQB. Sandoval had detailed the counting of Barnes's travel and movements, not just with the Krakens, but also his personal time when he was home on Inath. I got the feeling Sandoval was looking for something specific, something he thought he might have missed about the schism. If there was any question about the schism meeting, the logical thing for Greedock to do was to ask Barnes. But Barnes was on the regulator. Greedock hadn't talked to him since the touchback bombing. According to Virak and Massal, Barnes blamed Greedock for Hokor's death. Barnes thought Greedock was a coward. Which meant Barnes confused cowardice with common sense. Eventually, that would be the human's downfall. Perhaps Sandoval doubted the meetings took place at all, Greedock said. Did he find any evidence they did or did not? Nothing concrete, but I'm still digging. Whatever he hoped to find, he stopped looking at the time he put a half mil's worth of gyms in his bank and started researching Halamite. Sandoval had been working on a story. Perhaps then he'd switched gears when someone hired him to kill Barnes. I want to know what Sandoval was looking for, Greedock said, and find out why the Guild or this Fermata wants Barnes dead. You have been listening to The Gangster, book six in the Galactic Football League series, written and narrated by Scott Ziegler. Follow Scott on Instagram and Twitter, where he is at Scott Ziegler, one word, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash scottsigler. For more information on the Galactic Football League series and for more free audiobook podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. The Gangster was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2020, Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Heaven's a Lie by the band Lacuna Coil.
Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.